0: Uh, devotional time, family devotional time here. And we've done that the last few years, and it's a great time. And we'll have a theme, and we'll sing together, and, and we'll read Scripture together. And then this Sunday, I'm going to, on the 27th, share the history of the song Joy to the World, where it comes from, and then what that song means to us. And I think it's a, something, it's a study that's been really powerful for me, and I hope it will be for you as, uh, as you go forward. And uh, so uh, one more thing before I jump in. Uh, usually, after a Sunday morning assembly, I'm in the back and I love to meet and greet people and, and just uh, say hello. And this morning, I am as soon as uh, the final amen happens, I'm going to be heading out the back because, as Mark said, uh, Lane uh, Herbst and uh, uh, Jaylin are getting married today, and their uh, ceremony is a few friends and family. It's happening in Helena, and uh, so I've got to get my suit on and head up there uh, quickly. But Lane did arrive his, uh, last night, apparently. Uh, his uh, flight was changed a few different times, and he flew in at midnight last night and uh, is able to, uh, as Mark said, they've been postponed for months and months, uh, are going to be able to get married this afternoon. So that's something that all of us can be praying and wishing their, their best for them. Uh, there's a, I had the opportunity uh, when I was younger to play college sports. I played tennis throughout college, and one of the things I noticed that happened with me, and I, I found out later it was not a unique phenomenon just to me, but it was something that happens to a lot of college athletes, is I went in as as a freshman really excited about playing and, and was just full of, of energy for the game and and uh, and played that first year, played the second year, and I started realizing as I went along that... And it wasn't something I, that consciously I, I made a decision for, but I just realized that I didn't like the game as much as I once did. And I found myself practicing less. I found myself kind of getting tired of it. And I found, someone told me who is a, a physical therapist that does a lot of training for MSU athletes. So athletes are tricky to work on because sometimes if they're burnt out, they will find excuses to be in here on a regular basis, just that so they can sit out a little longer because they're so tired of playing. And something ha- and I realized, in my own experience, as I continued to play and I continued to be a team captain in my senior year, my head and my heart were somewhere else. I was on the court, and I would play and I would do my thing. but I realized that I didn't love it anymore. And there's something about that from a spiritual perspective is we can do a lot of good things, can't we? We can do good things, but we can not love doing good. And I think our world is full of that. Uh, I think whenever we say, well, oh, well, here I have to do this again because this is a God thing and I wish I could be doing something else. What, we, what that's an indicator of is deep, deep within our heart is that somewhere we may be doing good, but we've lost our first love. We've been spending some time in Titus, where Titus has been commissioned by Paul to go and share the message of God and encourage churches in Crete. And as we've talked about, <laughs> Crete was a rough place. It was a tough place where people were not, um, not naturally predisposed for doing good. They weren't people who loved what was good. And we spent some time, and this is the last day. We're going to finish up with this today, and we're going to go into some different things. But if you remember, we spent a few weeks on this. And this is, I think, one a passage that still touches my heart and hopefully always will. At one time, we two were foolish, disobedient, deceived, and enslaved by all kinds of passions and pleasures. We lived in malice and envy, being hated and hating one another. But when the kindness and love of God our Savior appeared, he saved us, not because of righteous things we had done, But because of his mercy, God in his goodness said, I've got a plan for each one of you. He didn't look down on earth and say, oh man, these people are terrible. I want nothing to do with them. But said, these people are a mess and I love them. I'm going to go down there as one of them. And I'm going to restore this relationship. He saved us through the washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit, those gifts of grace that God has given us, so that when we are baptized we become Christians and God's Holy Spirit comes into us and transforms us and changes us. Those whom he poured out on us generously through Jesus Christ our Savior, that having been justified by his grace, we might become heirs having the hope of eternal life. In other words, we're the only people out there that can say the future is better than the past, is that we're looking forward to some sort of physical resurrection and going into a place where the curses around us are all gone, mosquitoes, can you imagine a life with no mosquitoes, no thorns, nothing like that? Sounds pretty good. And this life is goes into eternity. It's Something that's great, and maybe when we're young that doesn't appeal to us as much, but as we get older and realize, boy, is this all there is? When we follow Jesus, we can say, no, this isn't all there is. There's a day where my back's not going to hurt anymore. There's a day where I'm not going to have these diseases. There's a day when cancer's not going to exist anymore. It's just going to be amazing. It's going to be beautiful. And that is something that is worth living for. And I'm excited for that future and what it looks like. We spent the last couple of weeks talking about what what are the examples that Paul gives for people who love what is good and people who don't love what is good. The characteristics of those who love what is good are held up as those who are shepherds of God's church. And some of the things that he mentions, they're full of self-control, they're upright, not overbearing, not quick-tempered, but people who invest godliness in their marriage and in their families. And that's something that we see from people who demonstrate that they love what is good. And characteristics of those who don't love what is good, and we spent some time on that, it shares, again... People who put the, the image for, forth of being religious or being spiritual, but ultimately they're dishonest, overbearing, quick-tempered, impure, demonstrate bad spiritual fruit. Whenever they're involved in a situation, makes it worse, creates conflict, and unable to do anything that is good is what is mentioned there as these qualities of people who don't love what is good. Now, they can do things that are good, just like all of us can do things that are good. There's people that I've crossed paths with in, in this world that do not love what is good, but they still do things that are good. But it's not really here. It's not really something that just pours out of them because they're excited about what God's mission is for them. They don't love what is good. And Paul reminds Titus, Look for this and share this with the people so that you can see a big difference from those who love what is good and those who don't. Today we're going to go into chapter 2 finish the rest of chapter 2. And something that is really powerful for me is the verses on either side of what we're going to spend most of our time in. Chapter 2, verse 1 says, You, however, must teach what is appropriate to sound doctrine. We talked about sound doctrine last time. Healthy teaching. And he's going to give descriptions of it again. What does a person look like who has healthy teaching in their life, who has sound doctrine? And then he says, at the end of it, these then are the things you should teach and encourage and rebuke with all authority. Do not let anyone despise you. In other words, Titus, as you're there in Crete, and as you are there teaching these things, make sure that people understand that this is what they're supposed to look like. This is it here. And, uh, and don't hold back, make it clear, because this is what, uh, what your role is, this is what your job is. And what he does is he goes down and Paul reminds him, people by people, gender by gender, what we are supposed to look like as people. And he starts, says, this is what is appropriate to sound doctrine. He starts with older men. Teach the older men to be temperate, worthy of respect, self-controlled, sound in faith, in love and in endurance. And so this is what you want the older men to look like. Now imagine people in Crete that Titus had some interactions with didn't always look like this. They looked like people that uh, could be um, short-tempered and, and, uh, and didn't have that great change and transformation. But just think about what a person like this looks like. Put a name in your head of what a person like this looks like. An older man who is temperate, worthy of respect, self-controlled, sound in the faith, and love, and endurance. The image I get is someone who is like the example that Paul uses, and we've used several times in Ephesians, of a great ship that is just, it's going to be okay, it's going to be fine. Think about that for a second. Put in your mind this great ship that is crossing the ocean, that's going across. And the captain who is controlling the ship and guiding it, knows that what you want to do is make sure you have your sails up so that you can catch this good wind that is going to push you along and get you across anything that comes, comes your way. And so the sails are up there, and, uh, and he also knows that you don't want to leave those anchors down that are dragging, that are going to pull the ship all sorts of different directions. And so we're going to pull those anchors up and make sure that they're not slowing us down. And people, as we mature spiritually, and in this context older men, can look like someone who is willing to put those sails up and let God's power, God's spirit, just guide you along. And making sure that I'm going to take away those anchors that are down, those things that, have, that drag along the bottom of the, the sea and, and slow us down, I'm going to pull those things up. I'm going to make sure that there are not anchors in my life that, uh, that, that slow me down. Because I want to be gods, I want those sails up, and I want to be sailing freely. That's the image, that's the idea there. Temperate, meaning someone who does not too much one way or the other, controls their emotions, worthy of respect. People around them say, yeah, that's what I want to be like, that's what I want to look like. Self-controlled. Now, you'll notice that this comes up several times here. Self-controlled, sound in the faith, in love, and in endurance. The person that you know day in, day out, month in, month and out, year after year, is going to be there. Is going to be that foundation, that rock that other people can go to and their faith is strengthened and grown as well. It says that's what you want these guys in Crete to look like that are older. They're to be an example for the rest of the people. He continues on, he says, Likewise, teach older women to be reverent in the way they live, not to be slanderous or addicted to much wine, but to teach what is good. Real similar, isn't it? Very similar descriptions of what this, uh, what this looks like for older women. Being reverent in the way they live, not to be slanders, not to be people that are stirring the pot and making life worse for everybody else but people that bring healing with their words or addicted to much wine. The concept here is one who does not linger long beside their wine. Someone who is who is addicted to wine and drunk does not demonstrate the godliness that, uh, that we see that Paul is looking for here. But to teach what is good. You notice with older men and older women, th- this concept comes up. Is there to be examples for others? So... I'm not going to ask you if you consider yourself older or not. Yeah, let's not do that, right? But every one of us is a teacher to someone, or teacher to the people around us. And so don't ever think that, well Chris, you know, I know what you're saying here, but I'm I'm one of these I'm going to lay low, I'm going to have a low profile, and whenever you come near me to ask me to teach or to do something like that, I'm going to go the other way and I'm going to hide as fast as I can. This doesn't apply to me. That's not true. All of us, all of us in some way, some form or fashion, have an example that teaches the people around us. And Paul is saying, teach these people to be a wonderful example to the younger generations around us. It says, Then they can urge the younger women to love their husbands and children, to be self-controlled and pure, to be busy at home, to be kind, and to be subject to their husbands so that no one will malign the word of God. Maybe... Some of, one of the greatest things that young women need in this life, and this is something that Paul tells Timothy, is for older women to be an example for them and show them, this is how you live. Not so much as what, we say, what they say, as much as what they do, what they teach and what they demonstrate. And you notice what, what is shared here, to love their husbands and children, to hold that up as something that's very valuable in God's kingdom. To, to love our families, that's something that, is, that God is, is thrilled about. To be self-controlled. Oh, there it is again. You see this phrase come up again? Self-controlled. To be pure, to be busy at home, to be kind and subject to their husbands, willing to live in peace in their families so that no one will malign the word of God. Because with our families, when our families look like something that is appealing to the people around us, and there's people that don't know God say, how do you do it? What is that all about? I want some of that. And that's how people become Christians, by our examples that way. Paul continues on, and he says, Similar- similarly, encourage the young men to be self-controlled in everything. Set them an example by doing what is good. And your teaching show integrity, seriousness, and soundness of speech that cannot be condemned, so that those who oppose you may be ashamed because they have nothing bad to say about us. So people that, uh, that are young, says, Titus, this is, you're part of this, Titus. Set the example for him. You notice the things that come up there? Again, integrity, seriousness, and soundness of speech, what comes out of our mouth instead of slander, something that is good and honorable. So those who oppose you may be ashamed that they may have nothing bad to say about us. And here we have again, you see this, this example of the way we act is an example to the people around us in in how they're going to understand Christianity. And you notice here, he says specifically, is that those who oppose you may be ashamed because they have nothing bad to say about us. We find out a lot about ourselves when we don't get our way or we're in the crucible, we're in the fire. And Paul is reminding him here, this is it. Remember, the way you act when someone opposes you, shares a whole lot about what's there. And it can be a huge, powerful example to the people. It can be shameful to the people who who oppose you. Remember that. That's important. And you notice in these, all of these that we've looked at so far, is whether it be male or female, younger or older, everyone is valuable and has a place in the kingdom of God. Do you see that? And that's something that our world draws all sorts of distinctions between... um, between age groups. You know, how many of you are baby boomers here? We probably know. How many of you are Generation Xers? I'm one of the last, right at the end of the Generation Xers. And then the Millennials. Where are you, Millennials? And there's all sorts of subcategories in all of that. You In know, God's kingdom, and you know, we can acknowledge those. We can acknowledge those differences, but we can celebrate them because the kingdom we live in is something very different. And... So unlike so many other religions in history, God values both men and women and says, I've created you differently, and you're both wonderful, and I'm excited for everyone to be a part of my kingdom. You see that in in this. He continues on, and he says, teach slaves. And so for our purposes, we're going to read employees here. Teach employees to be subject to their masters and everything, to try to please them, not to talk back to them, not to steal from them, but to show that they can be fully trusted so that in every way they will make the teaching about God our Savior attractive. Man, think about this. What happens when we as people, for whoever we're working for, whoever we're working with, When everybody else is complaining, everybody else is upset, everybody else is griping, we come to the table and say, hey, what can I do to help? What can I do to make things better? What can I do to make things great? And what a powerful, amazing example that we show during those times. Look at this. Remind the people to be subject to rulers and authorities, to be obedient, to be ready to do whatever is good. There's that phrase over and over again. It keeps coming up. And to slander no one, to be peaceable and considerate, and always be gentle toward everyone. Now this is, uh, I think in their world, it was, it's very different, just like the last one. Slaves and masters, we don't have those type of relationships. We have manager and employee type of relationships. And here, just imagine uh, how... You and I might speak differently about the government if we knew that if we said the wrong thing, then we would be executed fast. We definitely watch our words. Now, I don't want to live in a place like that. I've never lived in a place like that. I don't want that, for sure. But you see what Paul is saying here is the things that we say about the rulers and authorities that manage us, Make sure that we're saying things that bring peace, that bring unity, instead of tearing down. Good thing for all of us to remember and to consider in this. Now, when we look at this, there's some various themes that come up, and I'm just going to note some of them here before we jump into the next thing Here is: Do you notice how often self-control comes up? Self-control is important. It's part of the fruit of the Spirit, isn't it? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and... Self-control, that's right, that's the last one. And self-control, in some ways, is the easiest one to define, right? Because how do we define self-control? Controlling self, right? Yeah, it's probably the easiest of these to define, because the the description is right there in 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 the term. But it means not being one that allows emotions or passions to rule, but walks by faith and says... I may be feeling this way right now, but I'm going to calm my spirit. I'm going to control it. And I'm going to do what's right, no matter what I feel at the moment. That's what self-control is about. Imagine now, Paul, Titus, the rest of the people in Crete, how different they looked when they demonstrated self-control. Something that comes up again, another theme, is doing good. Be one that does what is good and loves what is good, which we talked about already. Submit to one another. Those, those phrases or, or types of phrases like that come up over and over in there. That's something that we are called to do in our spiritual walk, is submit to people around us. And that's tough, that's hard, because we want to fight for our rights, we want to demand our freedom, that sort of thing. No, I do what I want. But in God's kingdom, we're called to submit ourselves so that we can provide an amazing example so people can come into the kingdom of God. Because we're supposed to make the example, through our example, make the message of Jesus attractive to everyone around us. Themes that come up over and over again here. So what is it that God really wants from us? Look at these verses here as we're going through Titus 2. Think about this. He says, For the grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people. Now, I want to touch on that here for just a minute all people have the opportunity to come into the kingdom of god something that uh, a story that i shared on a wednesday night years ago now but it really impacted me uh, is for us as people who are new testament christians churches of christ one of the the reasons why uh, 200 years ago plus that we came into existence as as we we are today is Way back east, and when that was the frontier, what was happening is there were big revivals that were happening with ministers that came from a perspective that is known from a Calvinist perspective. And they'd have these big revivals and meetings and say, if you... Now, God has chosen some to come into his kingdom, and he has not chosen others to come into his kingdom. And if you feel the Spirit move in you, and you feel it, then you come forward, and if... In fact, if you want to come in the kingdom of God, you come forward and when you feel the Spirit move you, you're welcome to the kingdom of God. And if you don't feel it, if you don't sense that, then you're not welcome. And what happened is groups and groups of people, individuals came forward, sat on the sinner's row. See, Gary's great. You know, he's courageous. He sits on the front row. Yeah. Came and sat and prayed and sat and prayed and prayed and felt nothing. And they thought, well, I guess I'm not one that God has chosen. I might as well eat, drink, and be merry because I'm not in. I don't have it. And they walked away, and they pursued sinful lifestyle. And what happened is some guys, start, as reading through Scripture and letting Scripture speak to them and letting their hearts be touched, started sharing something different. And they would have these tent revivals and say, here's the message of God. You can come to God, because he wants everyone to come to God. And if you choose, no matter how you feel about it right now, if you choose to come to God, you can come forward, you can repent, you can approach God in faith, you can be baptized, and you can enter the kingdom of God, and you can do that right now. And scores of people who had come down front before and had never felt anything, came forward and said, I choose to be a part of the kingdom of God today. That's what I want to be. Because they understood that God's grace offers salvation to only a select few. Nope. Offers salvation to all people. Whoever wants it. Whoever wants it can have it. That's true for us today, isn't it? Every one of us is here because we've chosen to say, I want to be part of God's people. You can do that. And that's one of the great messages that God gives us. It teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age while we wait for the blessed hope, the appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all wickedness and to purify for himself a people that are his very own, eager to do what is good, You notice where he says, living self-controlled and upright, godly lives in this present age while we wait for the blessed hope. So in the meantime, until Jesus comes or until we pass away in this life, our job is to live self-controlled, there's that word again, self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age because our example can make an impact on the people around us much more than anything we ever say. Notice he mentions our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. This is just one of the places that it speaks about in Scripture where Jesus is called God himself. Now Some would, will talk about Jesus not being God, that he's an angel or he's just a good teacher or whatever. Scripture is very clear that Jesus is God, and this is one of the examples that is shared here, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all wickedness and to purify for himself a people that are, very, that are his very own, Eager to do what is good. And so you can imagine, from God's perspective, as Titus goes into Crete there, have these people that are not eager to do what is good, don't love what is good. But Titus lands there, and there's some Christians that are there already, and there's a lot of people that aren't. But Titus goes in, and he shares these words of Paul, saying, what God wants for you is for you to love what is good. Love doing it. And they look at him and they scratch their heads and they think, I'm not sure what all that is about, but I'm, <laughs> I don't know if that's for me. And Titus just goes on patiently sharing and patiently showing what it means to love what is good. And it just pours out of him. And over time what happens is maybe a few of the older men, and the older women, get this and say, well, I've lived quite a while and what I've done so far hasn't worked. I'm in. I want to learn to love what is good. And not just do good on occasion, but I want want to learn to love what it means to love what is good. I'm going to pursue that. And by their example, what happens is there's others, maybe some of the younger generation gets on board and gets excited about it, and starts seeing that, wait a minute, there's people around me that love what is good, and I can see the good fruit in their lives, and I want a part of that. And it just continues to spread and continues to go. The gospel moves through people like that because our hearts are changed instead of just being people who do what is good when it fits our purpose. Our hearts are changed to be people who love what is good. Now, how many of you have been a Star Trek fan at some point in your life or another? Okay, you can all come forward and no, I'm kidding. That's right. Yeah. Star Trek. I remember. I have an aunt that loves Star Trek, and she would go to um, uh, Star Trek conventions. and Amazing, amazing woman of faith, and and so I've got uh, some neat paraphernalia that she's given me over time. But there's a phrase: the final frontier is what? Outer space, right? That's the final frontier because mankind has has explored everything on Earth. And so the only thing left to explore is right outer space. Jump on the spaceship and go and meet aliens and interact with them and hope that you are not a guy in a red shirt that is alone on an alien planet. Because if you notice, the guy in the red shirt who is alone on an alien planet always finishes poorly. It never goes well. That's something I remember learning from my aunt. that just doesn't go well. I remember... Or watching something from a a documentary from Jacques Cousteau. How many of you know who he is? He's a guy who is uh, goes all over the world, has and and does all sorts of exploring of the ocean. And he talked about how the final frontier is the deep places of the ocean because we know more about outer space than we do about the deep places of our own our own oceans. And he speak about that being the final frontier. But I think what God tells us is the final frontier is the heart of each one of us. That's the final frontier. Outer space, God's got that dialed. The things that live in the bottom of the ocean, God's got that all figured out as well. And we'll learn more of those things as people who discover his creation as we go along. But one of the the things that... um, is the final frontier for each one of us is deciding, I want and I'm willing to open up my heart to see if I am one that just does what is good because that's what I'm supposed to do or if I'm one that has made that decision that I really want to love what is good. And as we go along in life, I think we are we see it now with the COVID stuff. We see it just in life in general. Whenever we have obstacles that, that come along if we are people that just do what is good, we don't tend to fare very well when those obstacles come. But if we have something much deeper in our heart, this desire to be gods, to be part of this, this people that is his own, then what happens is we love what is good. Our hearts are changed. And all of these obstacles that come, we think, oh well, these things have come before. God is still God. God's kingdom is not in danger. And as for me my household, we serve the Lord. My prayer is that day by day, each one of us look more like that. And if you don't have a New Year's resolution, here's one that I would pitch to you. Decide that this year is a year that you're going to look into your own heart, that final frontier, and decide I'm going to be one who genuinely and deeply loves what is good. If you'd like to become a Christian today, you're welcome to head to the back. Or if you just want prayers, elders will be back there and they will walk alongside you and pray with you in whatever burden you may have in your heart. Let's go ahead and uh, go into the Lord's Supper, and then we'll sing our way out. Have a blessed Lord's Day. I'm reading a couple of uh